You're listening to Shalise's Podcast. Well, Father, I just thank you for yet another podcast. I thank you for this topic. I thank you for the phrase union police that uh, was coined, gosh, I guess it's been years ago at this point, um, to describe really the way that you have transformed the lens through which I see the world. And I thank you, Father, that this is a lens that is the lens of the gospel. I thank you this is the gospel of the kingdom. This is the gospel of salvation. This is the gospel of grace. This is the gospel that Jesus' life came to declare. Uh, It's the gospel that is the end of a separated self. And so, Father, I just thank you for just the spirit of revelation and wisdom in the knowledge of you this morning. I thank you that... The eyes of our understanding have been enlightened, and we know the hope of our calling, Father. We know the hope of glory, which is Christ in us. And I thank you that you are using this broadcast today, Father, to just further our transformation and renew our minds, Father, so that the Christ in us can be revealed to us, so that Jesus can live through us. Thank you that the illusion of separation is just that. It is an illusion. And I am so grateful, Father, uh, to not only have this revelation, to be, to be able to share this revelation um, with your bride, with your body today, Lord, uh, because the good news is better than we've been taught. The good news is completely revolutionary. It revolutionizes the way that we we show up in our everyday lives, Father. It, it revolutionizes our emotional life, Father. It revolutionizes our inner world. It revolutionizes the way that we see other people, Father, the way that uh, the joy that we experience on a daily basis. And so, Father, just make the message clear today. Holy Spirit, I yield to you. Uh, use my mind today. Use my voice today. And say what you want to say. Take us where we need to go. And we're just going to give you thanks in advance for all of the good things that are going to come. All the fruit that's going to come out of this uh, teaching today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Well, you guys, my my voice is just a little bit ho- uh, uh, hoarse this week. <laughs> Because we got together um, with our tribe last week, with our Emerge grads and some of the folks that are in our graduate program. And you guys, it was a party. It was such a party. And I just love the fact that that's the way it's supposed to be, that that's the way that church is supposed to be, you guys, that it is a celebration every single time that we get together to celebrate the new creation and celebrate what Jesus has done. And every time we hear the good news and we share the good news and we see each other the way, as Jesus is, right? It, it causes this overwhelming joy. And I'll say this right up front. If the gospel is not causing that kind of joy in your life, you need to change the channel. You need to you need to get um, some some real truth <laughs> about the gospel. You guys, the gospel is the best news that's ever been told. It is the doubt. It is it is the the announcement of the death of self consciousness. And I'll tell you what, self consciousness is a miserable way to live. And for most of us that have grown in church, it has just it actually caused the problem of self consciousness to. Uh, multiply exponentially in our lives. Why? Because we become sin conscious and, and we are constantly focused on what's wrong with us. We're constantly having an inner self talk and this critic that is constantly trying to find, you know, what's wrong and fix what's wrong. And frankly, that is the exact inner condition that Jesus came to uh, um, nullify. 
It's the exact problem that Jesus came to solve because he came to crucify a self that is apart from God. He came to crucify a self that exists apart from perfect love. And when you get a revelation of perfect love, when you get a revelation that you are unconditionally loved, that you are unconditionally accepted, that Jesus died as you for you before you even knew of you, this is like the best news that's ever been told. You guys, true freedom looks like freedom from self-consciousness. It looks like freedom from sin consciousness. And it looks like shifting your focus on what is wrong with you, what is wrong with other people, what is wrong with the world into a focus of what is right. What is right with you? What is right with other people? What is right with the world? And I know that it is tempting to, to focus on what is wrong. I mean, we are inundated every single day uh, you know, with what is wrong. But you guys, Jesus's resurrection is the proclamation that Jesus has made things right. Okay. We have spent time. I think we spent time in this series. My goodness. I spend so much time in uh, Colossians that sometimes I, it all blurs together. You know, I, I go deep into Colossians chapter one. I go deep into Colossians chapter three because it is the announcement of the reconciliation of God and not just man, but God and the cosmos, God and all of creation. It was the redemption of God's creation. It was the undoing of Adam. And I really encourage you guys to just spend some time reading Colossians. If it's been a minute since you've just gone into Colossians and read the whole book, I encourage you to do that. Personally, I like to read Colossians out of a couple of different translations. I mean, you know, you can get something out of all of the translations, but I'll tell you the first time that I really, I mean, I'll tell you, I read Colossians in its entirety and I just bawled and I read it because I actually purchased Brian Simmons Passion Chant Translation in the actual little book. And I can't remember what the title of it was because he, 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 he has these books and he put these, uh, like multiple, uh, epistles in this one little book. I think it was called like Love Letters from Heaven. That, don't quote me on that. I could probably try to find it right now, but I don't want to take time away from uh, the broadcast to do that. But it's whatever book that he has that's that the book of Colossians and Ephesians is in. And I and the reason I liked it is because it came like a little book. And sometimes we have a relationship with the Bible that causes us to not get the uh, I don't know the impact of the scripture. And so it was funny because as I read this little book that Brian Simmons put together that were the, the epistles, and I think it was called Love Letters from Heaven, but I said, don't quote me on that. It was funny because I think I even approached it different because it was like a little book rather than like, you know, my, my Bible. And it was, it was easy for me to read. And so I could, re I literally read the whole thing like pretty quickly, you know, and I think most of us, our relationship with scripture is that we, you know, we don't even really read an entire epistle at a time. You know, we, we kind of maybe cherry pick scriptures or we do the read the Bible in a whole year. Right. And and so I think we miss something sometimes when we do that or we're reading it out of a translation that is it's just hard to understand or it's hard to grasp the heart of it. And so I'm just sharing this with you because I'll tell you, as I sat and read that full book of Colossians in the Passion Translation that day, I just bawled. 
I bawled. I cried. The, the impact of what Jesus had done for me and done for everyone and, and, and what the, the ramifications of what that meant to be innocent, to actually be innocent, that God has proclaimed the human race innocent. Like it, it impacted me so deeply. And I'll tell you why it impacted me so deeply. It impacted me so deeply because I felt like crap. You know, um, I, I, I have struggled for so many years about, you know, feeling like I didn't measure up. I didn't measure up to my own expectations. I didn't measure up to God's expectations. I didn't measure up to the things that I would read in scripture, right? I wasn't loving enough. I wasn't kind enough. I wasn't peaceful enough. I mean, the fruit of the spirit, like I, like the measure of the fruit of the spirit versus my inner world was like, I am missing it. Like I am. And every time I would read scripture, it was always like, it wasn't from the the perspective of you are innocent and this is how innocent people act. It was from a place of I'm guilty because I'm not any of these things. And so scripture would actually condemn me. Scripture would actually be an accusation against what I wasn't rather than a declaration of what I was. And I think for the very first time when I did this years ago, I think I finally like had this epiphany that the gospel was meant to eradicate self-consciousness apart from Christ, that it was meant to heal my relationship with right and wrong. It was meant to heal my relationship with myself. It was meant to give me permission to feel about myself the way that God does and to really begin to experience a revelation of what perfect love is that casts out fear. Right. I mean, fear is a really strong motivator in religion. It is a really strong motivator in the law. It is a very strong motivator. <clears throat> it, it's this, it's this drive to be good. It's this drive to measure up. It's this drive to, uh, earn <laughs> and, and become worthy of love and acceptance. And of course, if you're a Christian, all of the blessings that come along, you know, that we, we learn about that God blesses those, you know, um, who, you know, that he's got all these promises, but there's something very subtle that many of us, I mean, maybe we're aware of it. Maybe we're not. I know that for many years I wasn't that I, at a very deep level within me, at a very subconscious level within me, I really felt like no matter that I did not deserve uh, to to have a good opinion even of myself, right? Like I, I, I took up in my own internal world the voice of the accuser and I, I allowed scripture even to condemn me of what I wasn't. And I'm taking a moment just to describe this because, you know, number one, I, I really believe that I'm not the only one that struggles under this. But I do think a lot of people are are not aware of the struggle that they have under this. That was my own experience. And I'll tell you the fruit of, of living under that. Okay. It live it what happens is the way that you have the, the way that you relate to yourself becomes the way that you relate to everything. And scripture becomes not only a weapon that we use to condemn ourselves, whether we're aware of it or not but we use it to condemn others. And we do it under the guise of being humble. 
We do it under the guise of thinking, wow, if I just am aware of everything that's wrong with me, if I'm just, if I just take on the identity of a sinner, then I will be humble. I will be humble and I will be, we will recognize what's wrong with me and I can help other people recognize what's wrong with them too. And the motivation that we're taught to, to go with that, that premise is that when we recognize what's wrong with us, then, then we're going to recognize our need for a savior. And that's really the, 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 the premise underlying the mo the way most of us have heard the gospel and we haven't really heard it at as a as good news really it, it's been condemning news it's been it's been founded in this identity of that there is something wrong with me there's something fundamentally wrong with me that i am a sinner at my core and i don't know that i have the time or the space today to completely unpack why that is such a destructive way to uh, begin your relationship with God or why it is not good theology. But I can tell you that if you will take some time to read Colossians and really get your wrap your head around the reconciliation that Jesus accomplished on the cross, you will begin to understand some fundamental things about yourself and about other people. And um, I, I just want to also kind of interject this this concept that um, the other thing that's so revolutionary about Colossians, what's so revolutionary about the gospel is that this gospel from God's perspective was accomplished before time began. Um, I sometimes joke and say, you know, that Ephesians, if we were going to do a chronological, you know, if we were going to put the Bible in chronological order, then we would have to put the book of Ephesians before, and I'm talking about Ephesians now, not Colossians, but you'd have to put the book of Ephesians before Genesis. But you'd also have to put uh, portions of the book of Colossians before Genesis, because it talks about <clears throat> in Ephesians, for example, the fact that we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Okay. And it talks about how we were, uh, and let me just read it so that you guys can kind of get the context of what I'm, what I'm sharing here. And I'll go ahead and pull it up in the, in the Passion Translation just because um, we're talking about it this morning. But, you know, it says, let me just get there before I um, butcher it, in Ephesians chapter 1. Okay, let me just read this. Um, and I'll just start in verse 1. It says, Dear friends, my name is Paul, and I was chosen by God to be an apostle of Jesus the Messiah. I'm writing this letter to all the devoted believers who have been made holy by being one with Jesus, the anointed one. May God himself, the heavenly father of our Lord Jesus Christ, release grace over you and impart total well-being into your lives. Okay, verse three, it says every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm has already been lavished upon us as a love gift from our wonderful heavenly father, the father of our Lord Jesus, all because he sees us wrapped into Christ. This is why we celebrate him with all of our hearts. And in verse four, it says, and in love, he chose us before he laid the foundation of the universe. Okay, I'm going to keep reading. It says, because of his great love, he ordained us so that we would be seen as holy in his eyes with an unstained innocence. In verse five, it says, for it was always in his perfect plan to adopt us as his delightful children through our union with Jesus, the anointed one, so that his tremendous love that cascades over us would glorify his grace, the same love he has for the beloved Jesus he has for us. And this unfolding plan brings him great 
pleasure. Okay. So again, I, I'm not in Colossians, but I'm in Ephesians. But truthfully, if you, I'm not, I'm not trying to sell Brian Simmons books today, but I will tell you that little book of the epistles um, changed my life. And the reason is because I started to get an understanding that we were all, that, that being one with God was always plan A. It was always in the heart of God that we were, I call it, you know, original glory, that original glory predates original sin. Now, I get that in time, it necessarily hasn't, you know, predated that. But in the mind of God and in the heart of God, he has always seen us uh, as with with unstained innocence. He always saw us as his children. He always had adopted us, meaning that he called us to be co-heirs and joint heirs of his kingdom because adoption is not like um like I'm adopted it's not like about you know taking someone from another family and bringing them in adoption scripturally is talking about full blown sonship it's talking about the mature son of god that comes into uh, being a co-owner of the father's estate and it was always his plan he chose us before the found before he laid the foundation of the universe and in colossians it talks about and these are yes absolutely uh, you know this is I'm reading some of the comments here, but yes, he, he foreknew us. He predestined us what to be holy, to be blameless, to be innocent, to be righteous, to be one with Jesus. And it is our union with Jesus that causes those things to be a reality in our lives. We are righteous because of our union with Jesus. We are holy because of our oneness with God. We are blameless and innocent because we are associated, fully associated with Christ. And it says in Colossians that we were alienated from God in our minds. So let me just go over in um, Colossians now and let me just read a little bit of this from chapter one since I'm talking about it in the Passion Translation today. Um, let me just pull a little bit of this good news up for you guys today, okay? Um, and I just love the way, and this isn't really where I was going to start, but I love the way Paul introduces himself in his epistles because he's always affirming who he actually is. He's always affirming his purpose. You know, in Emerge, we answer these, what we call the five big cues of life, the, the most important questions that you are ever going to ask in life. And that's what the curriculum is based on. And those are who is God? Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I headed? And how do I get there? You guys, I've done a, a podcast series on those five questions because they're so powerful. And what I love, what I recognize when I read uh, the epistles is that Paul knew the answers to those questions. He knew who God was because he had a, 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 an appropriate, undistorted lens of Jesus and the gospel. He knew who he was because who Jesus is was Paul. And he knew who he was and he knew why he was here, that he was here to be an apostle. He was here to be an apostle to the Gentiles, Gentiles. And I just love the way he's affirming that and he's affirming it unapologetically. And see, here's what self-consciousness and sin consciousness and the illusion of separation from God does, right? It, it, it automatically causes us to be self-conscious. It automatically causes us to focus on uh, an independent self and have a self-righteousness or should we say self-unrighteousness because that's what what performance does that's what a relationship with the law does that's what a relationship with the knowledge of the tree of the good and evil does is it causes us to evaluate ourselves based upon a standard that we can never meet or we arrogantly 
judge ourselves and compare ourselves with other people that obviously maybe are not measuring up as much as we are. And then we get some false sense of self-confidence or self-righteousness from that because at least I'm not sinning like this person, right? And then we have these categories of sin where, you know, at least I'm not that, right? And so we somehow, we gain life. It's, it's a horrible life, but we gain like this life uh, from this performance-based, legalistic, right and wrong version of a self and all of that 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 entails. But Paul, uh, contrary to that, he knew who he was in Christ. He understood the gospel and he understood the call on his life. And so he just would own it, right? My name is Paul. And remember, God changed his name from Saul to Paul. He's owning this new person that, that Jesus said that he is. My name is Paul, and I have been chosen by Jesus Christ to be an apostle, right, by the calling and the destined purpose of God. Okay, so Paul gets this. He gets that I am a new creation. I have a, I'm a new man. I have a new name. I have a new identity. I have a calling. All of my identity is based upon God's definition of me. And then he's the one that's proclaiming this is God's definition of you. Okay, so it's just really, really powerful when you start to understand that 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 the gospel, the cross was always God's plan a right and original glory is your that's where you originated. You originated in the heart of God. You originated as from his perspective as being wrapped in Christ. You originated as being holy and, and, and from his sight, blameless in his sight. And if God sees you that way, then that is the truth. How God sees us is the truth, even if we've been programmed into self-consciousness, even if we've been programmed into sin consciousness, it doesn't make it true just because we've believed it, okay? It may make us true for ourselves. It might make us true in what we experience in life. It might make it true for how we relate to ourselves and how we beat ourselves up, but it doesn't make it true from God's perspective, okay? Now, um, I am going to skip down a little bit. <clears throat> And, oh gosh, it's just all so good. Verse 10, it says, we pray that you would walk in the ways of true righteousness, pleasing God in every good thing you do. Okay. So let me stop there because the old me would have read that scripture to say, I need to be righteous and pleasing to God in everything I do, rather than recognizing that if I'm going to walk in the true way of righteousness, then I am going to uh, release an identity that. I have to please God apart from Christ, that he is already pleased with me. Okay, so the way of true righteousness is that everything is pleasing to God. Now, I know immediately we say, well, not everything we do can be pleasing to God. But here's the thing. What Jesus did is pleasing to God. And Jesus is who you are in your true identity. So being pleasing to God means that I have left my old identity. It means that I am agreeing with God on who I am. It's not about behavior. It's about a person. It's about the person of Jesus Christ. Okay. And it says when we walk in true righteousness, pleasing God in every good thing that we do, then we become fruit bearing branches, yielding to his life and maturing in the rich experience of knowing God in its fullness. Now, it says, we pray that you would be energized with all his explosive power in the realm of his magnificent glory, filling you with great hope. It says, your hearts can soar with joyful gratitude when you think of how God made you worthy to receive the glorious inheritance freely given to us by living in the light. 
It says, verse 13, he has rescued us completely from the tyrannical rule of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom realm of his beloved son. I heard a definition of darkness recently, and it came from Francis Dutrois. And his definition of darkness was basically this, that it is ignorance of mankind's redeemed identity and innocence. Okay, that the true definition of darkness is ignorance. It is ignorance of your redeemed identity and unstained innocence. And what if you understand that that is what darkness is, that the God of this world has blinded the minds, the people that don't believe the gospel, meaning they're living in darkness of their redeemed identity. They're living in darkness of their unstained innocence. Okay, so when we are translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear light, what happens? The light comes on so that we can live in the light. And what does the light show us? That we are one with God. The light shows us that we have been redeemed, that we are considered innocent, that we can stand before God completely holy, completely blameless in his sight because we're wrapped in Christ. So we think darkness is, I don't know what we think. There's a lot of definitions of what we think it is, but it's completely, it will shift your perspective of, of everything when you start to understand that darkness is ignorance of our redeemed identity and darkness is, is ignorance of our innocence, okay? Verse 14, it says, for in the son, all of our sins are canceled and we have the release of redemption through his blood, okay? It isn't just say all of our sins are forgiven, okay? That's not what redemption is. Sins are canceled. They are blotted out. They are extracted from the record books. They no longer exist. There is no guilty verdict. There are no charges. There aren't, there's no record of sin. Okay. There's no record. Remember in, in 1 Corinthians 13 in the amplified version, when it's describing love and describing God, it says love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Okay. I know that that's, a, you know, a lot of times we think about that. That's something that we're supposed to do. But if we're going to not keep a record of wrongs, with ourselves and other people, then we need to understand that there is no more record of wrong, that there is only righteousness by faith. There's righteousness through Christ. Okay. In verse 15, it says, he is the divine portrait. This is talking about Jesus now, the likeness of the invisible God and the firstborn heir of all creation. Verse 16, for in him who Jesus was created the universe of things. So the material universe was created by Jesus in the beginning. It says both in the heavenly realm and on the earth, all that is seen and all that is unseen. Okay. Jesus has existed before time began and he is the creator. He is the word of God. He was the word that is light. He is the word. When God said, let there be light, the word of God is Jesus. The word became flesh. The light of God became flesh. And it says that he created every seat of power, realm of government, principality, and authority. It all exists through him and for his purpose. In verse 17, he existed before anything was made, and now everything finds completion in him. Now listen, now everything, now everything finds completion in him. It is actually finished. When Jesus said it's finished, it is finished. Verse 18, it says, he is the head of his body, which is the church. And since he is the beginning and the firstborn heir and resurrection, he is the most exalted one holding first place in everything. Verse 19, for God is satisfied to have all of his fullness dwelling in Christ. And verse 20, by the blood of his cross, listen to this, everything in heaven and earth is brought back to himself. Listen, back to its original intent, restored to innocence again. I'm going to say it again. 
And by the blood of his cross, by the blood of Jesus Christ, everything in heaven and earth is brought back to himself, back to its original intent, restored to innocence again. Okay, that means that Jesus has reconciled everything to himself. Nothing exists apart from Christ. The work of recreation was complete in Christ. It was a finished act. He died once for all, it says in Hebrews. He had one atoning sacrifice for all. He is the propitiation of, of all of man's sin. He is the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. Sin has been eradicated in Christ from God's perspective. Okay. Now in verse 21, it says, even though you were once distant from him, listen to this, living in the shadows of your evil thoughts and actions. He reconnected you back to himself when on the cross, even though we were once living in an illusion of distance from him, living in the shadows, living in the darkness of your evil thoughts and actions, meaning the darkness of ignorance of your unredeemed identity, the darkness of ignorance. It, it was saying that you didn't know that you had been redeemed. You didn't know that you were one with God. You didn't know that you were innocent because of the cross. And because of that, you were living distant from God. You were living separate from God and any of our actions. This is the thing that I want you to get, guys. Evil is not just sin like we define sin, right? Like breaking the law of God. No, sin is anything that we do, wow, separated from God. Okay, gosh, I said it. I said it out loud. Okay, the sin problem is way bigger than we've given it, given it credit for, right? The sin problem is not just about our actions that we do that are not in agreement with unconditional perfect love, right? It's not just breaking the royal raw, royal law of love. It's being separated from love. It's having an identity that is separated from love. The sin problem was separated from God problem. It was a separated from God problem. See, the sin problem is an identity problem. It is living in ignorance. It's living in darkness. And what it causes is sin consciousness, right? Why? Because we're separate. So we're, uh, we're over there just evaluating things from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? But it says here that he released his supernatural peace to you through the sacrifice of his own body as the sin payment on your behalf so that you would dwell in his presence. And now there is nothing between you and Father God, for he sees you as holy, flawless, and restored. Okay? It says he sees you holy, flawless, and restored. But here's the problem. We don't see ourselves as holy, flawless, and restored. And so we live in darkness, and we judge in darkness, and we judge the human race from a position of darkness. We do not see people as being in union with God. We don't see most people as being reconciled with God. We, we look around and we judge people's behaviors and we completely nullify what Jesus has accomplished. We completely judge based upon self-righteousness rather than the righteousness that the cross proclaims. And the righteousness that the cross proclaims is that God has restored all things to himself. He has righted the world. He has righted all things. He has reconciled all things to himself. Now, immediately, what happens in our religious mind is we say, well, Shalise, people need to know this. People need to believe it. People need to say that. And remember, we even, we even call it the sinner's prayer. 
right? That's what we even say. Like they need to say the sinner's prayer. And here's what I'm going to say. People need to know the truth. People need to see themselves in the light if they're going to experience the new creation, right? You can't live in darkness and know who you are. No, you have to step into the light. And the gospel is the power of salvation. It's the light that sets people free. It's the light that says this is who you are, okay? And it doesn't say you're a sinner. It says that you are righteous. It says that Jesus died as you, that he extracted sin from you, that the gospel is freedom from self-consciousness, the, fr- the, 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 the gospel is freedom from right, from having a relationship with the law, a relationship with the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's having a relationship with God that it comes back to innocence. What is innocence? Innocence is not just mean that the law I broke the, I didn't break the law, which is one, one, one meaning of innocent, right? I'm innocent. I've been judged innocent because I didn't commit a crime. Okay. That's innocent. But it also means that it's innocent in its view of everything, right? I mean, it means that you're innocent like a baby. It means that you don't, you just have the absence of this performance based system. It's just you're, 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 you come back to this place of freedom from judgment. You've come back to a place where you are living oblivious to the tyranny of right and wrong. Okay. And when we don't understand this, okay, this is what we're projecting onto the world. This is what we are projecting onto redeemed sons and daughters of God who have not heard the gospel yet, who are living in darkness because they don't know that they've been redeemed. They don't know that they are considered innocent by God. They don't know that they have been reconciled to God. And so we propagate this relationship with sin. We even call it the sinner's prayer, right? It's almost like um, we have to um, admit our wrongs in order to be saved rather than just believe what Jesus did, believe that he died as us, believe that we were buried, he was buried as us, that he was resurrected as us. And so we, we just begin, we continue to propagate that. And so then what happens after we say the sinner's prayer, right, is then we just pick up right where we left off with the relationship with the law. And, and then, I mean, I know this was my experience for many, many years, right? We, 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 we feel guilty every, all the time. We feel guilty all the time. And then what, you know, then we have all these things about backsliding and rededicating our lives to God. And, you know, and it's, we're constantly we're repenting constantly and constantly for, for our sins. And you know what we're doing? We're staying sin conscious and we're staying living out of an identity that doesn't even exist anymore. And it is a miserable existence. It's a miserable existence. And here's what we do. We Then we try to put it on other people and we try to act like it's good news. And I just want to say, it's not good news. The good news is that I'm innocent. The good news is that my relationship to this life has been severed, that my relationship with the law, my relationship with sin, my relationship with uh, the tree of the knowledge of good in life has been severed. And now I live in the bliss of God. I live in the pleasure of God. I live in the son who lives in the father. And I am one with God. I am free 
from the law. I am free <laughs> to be. I am free to be righteous. I am free to be holy. I am free to be sin free. I am free to be sin free. And the more we look at sin, the more it manifests because what we focus on grows. Why? Because we're creative. We're created in God's image. And so focusing on what's wrong just leads to more wrong. And focusing on what's right just leads to more right. So what is right? What is right is, oh, God is righteous. Jesus is righteous. Jesus is perfect. And because we're one with him, we are perfect too. So let me wrap today with a scripture I go to all the time. But again, it's back in Colossians and it's such good news. And it's in Colossians chapter three. So let me pull it up here really quick and we'll wrap with this today because this is worth meditating on. This is worth getting into your mind, getting into your body. And so that you can actually experience this uh, in your emotional life, in your physical life, in your health, in your, oh my gosh, every your relationships, in your, in your finances, in every area of your life. Because I will tell you, this performance thing affects it all. And uh, here's what it says in Colossians 3, 1. It says, Christ's resurrection is your resurrection too. This is why we are to yearn or focus for on all that is above. Okay, we are here to yearn. We are here to desire. We are here to focus on all that is above. For that's where Christ sits enthroned at the place of all power, honor, and authority. You see, sometimes people get frustrated because they think, well, Shalise, you're just giving people you know, a license to, to continue to live in darkness and just do whatever they want and all these things. No, I'm exalting Jesus. I'm exalting the cross because this says here that he sits enthroned in the place of all power, honor, and authority. And so I'm simply making Jesus the preeminent one. I am, I am glorifying what Jesus has done. I am exalting what Jesus accomplished on the cross. I am magnifying who he is and what he's done. And that is what we are called to do as believers. We are to think on things that are lovely and pure and of good report. And the cross is the good report. The cross is what's pure. The cross is what is lovely. God is what is lovely and pure and of good report. And you can't be God conscious and sin conscious at the same time. You cannot have your focus on Jesus and what's wrong at the same time. Okay, so that's why Christ, that's why the Apostle Paul is telling us to focus on what is real, what is true and in, in the heavens, because that's what's true. That's what's eternal. Right. In verse three, it says your crucifixion with Christ has severed the tie to this life. And now your true life is hidden away in God in Christ. Okay. In verse four, it says, and as Christ himself is seen for who he really is, who you really are will also be revealed for you are now one with him in his glory. You are now one with him in his glory. Let me say it again. You are now one with him in his glory. What if you just took a whole year and just meditated on that phrase? I am now one with him in his glory. What if the meditation of your heart is what is right with you? Because as he is, so are we in this world. What if your the meditation of your heart was that I no longer exist apart from God? What if the meditation of your heart is that what is right with me is Jesus? What is right with me is everything that God has recreated in me. 
In, in Philemon, it says that our faith becomes effectual as we acknowledge all of the good things that are in us in Christ Jesus. So guess what? Faith starts to work. Why? Because love starts to flow. Why? Because this is the greatest love story that's ever been told. This is, this is God planning for us in love before the foundation of the world, that we, that we would always be with him, that we would always live in the center of his love and his pleasure. Okay. I mean, this, this, this passage in Colossians three, verse one through four is worth getting into us, getting into us over and over again. And why do we need to meditate on these things? Why do we need to read the, the book of Colossians? Why do we need to shift our focus on these things? We need to shift our focus onto these things because we're inundated with separation. And that's what the union police is all about, right? It's basically arresting every thought and taking it into obedience to Christ. It's about arresting every separated thought, every dark thought, every evil thought. And every evil thought originates from an, uh, the delusion and the deception and the ignorance of an unredeemed identity and the ignorance of our innocence, Okay. And so this is worth it. Now it says in verse five, I'm just going to read a little bit more before we go. It says now, because you know these things, now verse five starts to make sense. Live as one who has died to every form of sexual sin and impurity. Live as one who has died to the desire for forbidden things, right? Um, so, you know, including the desire for wealth, which is the essence of idol worship, right? Meaning of getting your source from anything other from God, anything other than your needs met by God. Okay. Anything that is meeting this, the needs of the separated self, just let go of it. You don't need to have the needs of a separated self met anymore because you're complete in Christ. Your life is hidden in him. You lack nothing. So why desire something you already have? Okay. And it says, when you live in these vices, you ignite the anger of God against these acts of disobedience. Okay. It says, this is how you once behave. What, what, what incites Jesus? What, what makes God angry? Okay. What makes God angry? If God can be angry, what grieves the Holy Spirit? You know what grieves the Holy Spirit? Separation from God. You know what makes God angry? I think I would be angry too if I went and spilled my blood and was tortured and did the most beautiful act of, of love and uh, demonstrating my love for every human being. And then they were ignorant of it. And they were living in the ignorance of, of someone they're not. They're living out of a false identity. They're living out of an identity that was crucified. They were, they're living out of something that actually died. They're picking up filthy, a filthy identity and putting it on. See, that would make me angry. It would make me angry. It would, it would make me angry because it would, the price that has been paid, that the extent of my love. And it was, it was, that would be angry. That would make us angry. So it's not that he's angry. I mean, he's angry. Yes. I mean, we would say, well, he's angry at the sin. Well, he's angry that sin has been eradicated. And yet we still wear it like it's our identity. And so, beloved, I, I just encourage you to take some time and read, read the epistles, read the gospel from the perspective of not it's something that you have to do to be holy, but that you are holy, that you are innocent. And now Paul is just describing how innocent people live. He's just describing how people that, that live in true righteousness, how they actually live. And it's not because they're trying, it's because they're God conscious. It's because their desires are fulfilled. That a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. What's the tree of life? The desire of the nations. Jesus is desire fulfilled. 
Jesus is where every desire is fulfilled. He is the source of desire. He is the fulfillment of desire. And nothing that he created is evil in itself. It's only evil per se if it's a source. He created all things for us freely to enjoy. And when you recognize that you are free in daddy's house, that you are a joint heir with Jesus, that you he was the lawful owner of all things, we don't have to strive for anything anymore. We can enjoy it because we don't lack anything. And so it's just a complete shift of the way that we view truthfully everything in reality. So beloved, Union Police, part three, right? We're arresting we are resting self-consciousness and we are becoming obsessed with the good news. We're becoming obsessed with what Jesus has accomplished and what is going on in heaven. What are we here to do? Like the apostle Paul, we begin to introduce ourselves for who we really are because we've seen who Jesus is. And now we can pursue the things that are in our hearts, the desire that God has put there, our purpose that God has put there in our hearts with confidence because there is no more sin conscious. There is no more focus on what is wrong. And I'm just going to say this. It's not like we have arrived at this. Even the apostle Paul said, it's not though I've obtained this. But the one thing I do is I forget what lies behind and I press towards the mark of the high prize of the calling in Christ Jesus, meaning we're going to fall off the wagon because the entire world is addicted to uh, self-consciousness. The entire world is addicted to judgment and a relationship with performance and uh, the knowledge of good and evil. I mean, this is the, the, the world system that we live in. And so, yeah, we're going to we're going to eat probably of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil again. We're going to become self-conscious. But the but but the, the 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 solution to that is just to shift our focus. The solution of that is to st- just to go. Oh gosh, I did it again, and then go right back into to being God conscious and being uh, recognizing that there is no separation from God except in our the splinter in our minds. So God bless you guys. I pray that this blessed you today. I praise. I, I pray that it will help you drop the judgment. Just drop the judgment against yourself. Drop, drop the judgment of every everybody else. Because to some degree, we're all living in this darkness. We're all living in this ignorance of our unredeemed identity and um, of our innocence. Uh, maybe we have a, a little bit more knowledge than people who've never heard it before. But the question is, are we living it? Are we are we experiencing it? Because I'll tell you what, when we do, we fall in love with people. We fall in love with God's creation and we see everything the way that Jesus did and now we become encouragers of men not to not not that we we just share the good news we share like the reason I'm so happy is because there is no me apart from God I live in perfect love I'm perfectly accepted I've totally been redeemed I am the forgiven I am innocent there is no condemnation there is no guilt there is no shame I live naked before Lord and I am one with him he is the most intimate intimate relationship of my life. And guess what? He approves of me. He accepts me. And he is not focused on what is wrong with me. And guess what? He feels the same way about you, you know? And so it's a completely different way to bear fruit and to share the goodness of God with others. And it's really based on our freedom. So God bless you guys. Have a supernatural week. Go get the epistles, dig your nose in there and you know what, just make it your determined purpose, right? Just like the apostle Paul did to, to know, (laughs) to know God. And what I mean by that is to experience his love, to experience his goodness, to experience his glory, the manifold glory of Jesus and to know the power of his resurrection, right? To know what Jesus accomplished through 
the cross and resurrection. So God bless you. And we will see you next time. Thanks for listening to Shalise's podcast. This recording is in part made possible by our listeners. To partner with us, visit Shalise.com where you can donate and help us spread the good news of our unshakable union with Christ around the globe. You can also find a link there to download Shalise's book, The Path, for free. And if you're ready to discover the call of God on your life and the purpose he created you for, then visit us at Shalise.com and watch Shalise's free training where you'll hear five keys to hearing God about your life purpose and transitioning into it. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, don't forget, the world needs the Christ in you.